Hey guys, we're on 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today, and hope you guys are enjoying this book. I know it's difficult. It's difficult really for two reasons. Um, number one, just the context and the, uh, the kind of historical background behind this letter is extremely complicated, and there's only, you know, sparse allusions and hints at, at, at what's actually going on. And by the time we read this, a lot of water has passed under the bridge with Paul and the Corinthians. So uh, picking up on that, trying to understand that could be hard, hard to do. And number two is what Paul is presenting about the Christian life as the ministers and the ministry of the new covenant is extremely deep. Um, So this book is deep, complex, experiential, uh, but Paul is presenting uh, really the heart of you know, what the New Testament ministry is all about. Um, so Paul's been doing that, and he's been talking about Titus uh, back in chapter 2 and chapter 7. So coming off of chapter 7, Paul says, Titus just came back uh, from the Corinthian church with news of how they responded and reacted to his first letter. So that's kind of where we're picking up. They received it. They were affected by it. They repented, and their heart has been enlarged. Their feeling has been restored for the, their uh, spiritual father and apostle. So chapter 8 and 9 is a new unit, and it is all about um, uh, what Paul calls in verse 4, the ministry to the saints, which what he's talking about is um, <clears throat> financial a financial contribution. So that's what chapter 8 and 9 are, are all about. Uh, Paul is uh, collecting material support and funds and take them to the needy saints in Jerusalem. So let's look at this chapter with um, just kind of three points. What is this? What, what are we talking about? Uh, this financial contribution, this ministry to the saints, what is it? What does it involve? And this is where this chapter just uh, just goes crazy and it's, it's so awesome and enjoyable. What this experience involves and number three, what does it result in? So what is it? What does it involve? What does it result in? Okay, so the first one, what, is, what are we talking about? Well, you got to zoom back out and, and really look at Acts and um, some other places to kind of get a sense of what actually is going on. So let's go through this real fast. Um, in Acts 15, Paul is in a council in Jerusalem, and he is told that while he's on his um, missionary journeys to raise up churches in the Gentile world that he should remember the poor uh, saints and specifically that's the poor saints in Jerusalem where the gospel in a sense began and so back in 1 Corinthians 16 where you know we saw this problem Paul was talking about uh, the collection to the saints um, he said lay aside whatever you've been prospered every week for the collection of the saints and then he says and when I arrive, I'll take that gift to Jerusalem. So he already told the Corinthian believers about this, and they were ready. Of course, once he wrote that letter, uh, they kind of had a relationship fallout, and Paul was worried about how they would respond to that first letter, so he sends Titus to Corinth. He doesn't meet Titus. He's supposed to meet him up in uh, Troas, so he goes to Macedonia. He finally finds Titus, um, and in chapter 7, he finds out how they responded positively to that letter. Then in he's in Macedonia, which is just north of where Corinth is, and he writes Second Corinthians. And if you read this chapter eight carefully, you notice he's actually sending Titus right back to Corinth, and Titus is going with the letter, which is now Second Corinthians, 
And chapter 8 and 9 is saying he's sending Titus to uh, restore their um, restore their uh, feeling towards this contribution. They had this eagerness. They had this intention. But the whole thing never happened because of what happened with 1 Corinthians. So Paul is writing them to complete the doing. He says, complete the doing. You wanted to do this. You were eager to do this. Now let's do it. And then after 2 Corinthians, Paul visits Corinth, and they actually do make this contribution. He picks up their gift. And it's interesting. We read in Romans 15, 25 through 26, which was written after 2 Corinthians, even though in the New Testament order it appears first. It's written after 2 Corinthians, and Paul says in these verses that Achaia and Macedonia were pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. And so Paul says, now I'm finally going back to Jerusalem. And when we get to Acts 21, we find out Paul arrives in Jerusalem with that gift and makes that contribution. So that's what this is talking about. Now, the crazy thing is from Acts 15 to Acts 21 is an eight-year period. So this is a huge and long, prolonged endeavor that Paul's involved in. And so it shows how important it was to him uh, for this to happen and to involve the Gentile churches in what he's going to call a fellowship. Okay, so that's that's what we're talking about. Um, this was a multi-year endeavor for Paul, bringing the churches into a fellowship uh, universally in the body where there was care and love and grace uh, operating for the glory of God. So what is involved in this process? This is where this chapter really shines. And the crazy thing is in these two chapters, Paul never once mentions the word money, not once. But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about making a financial contribution to poor, needy Christians in a city, you know, people you've never met. And the word that it is used over and over and over again is not money, is it is grace. And this is this is so awesome. Paul views this act of financial offering to to meet and make up the lack of impoverished saints. He views that whole experience as an experience of grace. It's more than just opening your wallet and giving money. It is a spiritual experience of the gospel truths of the love of God, the grace of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So we can map these big theological truths onto this very mundane experience of making a financial contribution. We can map 2 Corinthians 13, 14, which is the last verse of this book, the love of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Well, in chapter 8, in this experience, all three of these triune virtues and attributes are operating the love of god the grace of christ and the fellowship and so it shows us that in such a um you know mundane experience uh there needs to be a depth of spiritual experience operating that makes it more than just buying a meal you know supplying finances making up uh lacks and shortages so where do we see this well in verse Eight, Paul says, this is not a commandment, but I'm, I'm trying to prove the genuineness of your love. So the source of this experience is this uh, church's love for the body. And in verse 24, the body of Christ, 
Verse 24, he says, uh, Show therefore to them the proof of your love. So the source of this experience is the love that's operative in the body of Christ. This is exactly what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. We're one body. We have the same care. When one member suffers, we all suffer with it. So when these poor saints in Jerusalem were suffering financially, Paul says, the proof of that, the proof of your love and care for the body of Christ and the genuineness of that love is you will do something to meet the need financially. Okay, then what is the power to do this? Uh, Obviously, this strikes at our greed, our heart, our self-love, because, uh, you know, obviously in the financial affluent West, financially affluent West in America, uh, we want to guard our money. We live in a consumer consumer, uh, age with a consumer mentality. We want to hoard our money. We trust in our money. We think it brings us security. So how can we do this? How can we break through? Paul says the secret is grace, and that's why this word is all over the place. In fact, this is the largest cluster of verses on grace in the entire New Testament, right here. It's unbelievable. It's not in Romans. It's not in Ephesians. It's right here. This is an experience of grace. And verse 3 says, they did this beyond their power. So how can you do something that's beyond your power? You can only do it through the divine enabling of grace. So if we know grace, if we experience grace, then we will be enabled to live uh, for someone beyond ourselves, not just seek our own things, but uh, care for the needs of the saints. And so Paul roots this whole experience in grace. Verse 9 is the center of this whole chapter. You know the grace of Christ. Do we know the grace of Christ? Paul paints the gospel here in economic terms. Though Christ was rich, for your sakes he became poor, in order that because of his poverty you might become rich. Paul is talking spiritually here. Christ was rich in divine omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, all the attributes and glory, excellencies of divinity. That was a treasure that Philippians 2 says Christ did not grasp at for his own enjoyment and glory, but he emptied himself. He became poor by becoming a man, by becoming flesh, by being limited in time and space. And he became poor by entering and experiencing suffering and death. He did that for our sake, that we could share in what is rightfully his, the glory of God, the life of Christ, the uh, empowering and the uh, supply of the spirit. So Paul says, if we truly know that, and if we truly experience the grace that is, you know, the heart of the gospel, then that will manifest in a graciousness in our life of giving for others, letting go of what we rightfully have, and, you know, in a sense, uh, pouring out just like Christ poured out for us and meeting the needs of others for their sake. I love it. So we need to know and experience grace to be empowered to live this kind of way, to give to others and meet their need. Okay, lastly, what does it result in? Um, In verse 4, Paul talks about uh, they besought of us the grace and the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. And also in chapter 9, verse 13, we'll see that 
Uh, he says the liberality of the fellowship to them. So this very mundane experience of financially offering for others' needs, it creates a fellowship in the body of Christ that is a real flow of love and grace and circulation so that our material material giving to others is more than a material giving. It's a supply of grace. When we offer financially to others, they don't just get our money, they get a divine supply of grace and a fellowship is created between those parties to where Christ is experienced in that act. It's amazing. So Paul uh, is employing the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in this act of contributing to the financial needs of other believers. He's mapping these theological truths and realities onto our very practical human experience of neediness, lack, shortage, and he's showing us that what is true of the triune God becomes true of the body of Christ in the most striking places, money. And it's a, it's a matter of grace. Now, lastly, real quick, can't, can't leave out verse 15 and verse 19. Paul uh, bolsters this argument in the strangest place of the Old Testament, Exodus 16, which is all about manna, gathering manna. And he says, he who gathered much had no excess, and he who gathered little had no lack. So Paul is saying, no matter how much manna you gathered back then, you never had more than one day's supply. No matter how little you gathered, you never had more than one day's supply, or less. you never had less than one day's supply. And Paul is saying that is a picture of our financial situation. We may be greedy and try and hoard our money, but surprisingly, it flies away, it disappears. And God redistributes that for the needs of others. And if we're needy, if we have a lack, God redistributes the wealth in the body of Christ to make up our lack so that there's equality. And this sort of redistribution of wealth through our love and by our enjoyment of Christ's grace, creating that fellowship, what does it result in? Verse 19 says, This grace which is being ministered by us is to the glory of the Lord himself. So in the body of Christ, the love of God, the grace of Christ, and the fellowship of the Spirit are operating in this kind of experience, and it's glorifying God. It's showing forth what is true of God in us so that the world sees something that they've never seen before. All right, guys, hope this inspires you to give, to look for ways to give, and to look for new ways to experience and enjoy the grace of Christ for the sake of the body and for the glory of the Lord.